0: lots of things are better together hockey food golf how about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day but if you really want to take things to the next level drink some labat blue lights with your friends and live life to the power of we always enjoy responsibly beer labat usa buffalo new york this is the gm shuffle
1: seattle doesn't seem interested in garoppolo
0: unless they cut him.
1: Mm-hmm. where else are they going to trade garoppolo to are they sitting around the kitchen table tonight hoping an injury happens over this weekend and that's where they're going to get value for Garoppolo? I don't think so. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented
0: by DraftKings and V-CIN. is Femi Abebafe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and v I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, we had a whole podcast taped, and this has now happened to us a third time until... 20 minutes after we get done with the episode, we see the breaking news out of the NFL. The NFL and NFLPA have agreed to a settlement on discipline for Browns quarterback, Deshaun Watson. He will now serve an 11-game suspension and pay a $5 million fine for violating the league's personal conduct policy. So we never get the ruling from Peter C. Harvey. Watson, now we have closure, I guess.
1: Well, we do. I was having a really good hair day, Femi, and now all of a sudden I had to go to practice in Arizona, and I'm having a bad hair day as we re record this. I mean, this Watson thing is just keeps coming back and back. Mm-hmm. But my first reaction was, I wonder if the league office knew what Harvey was going to rule, and did that persuade them to make the settlement of eleven games? I don't know. Um, this is all speculative on my part. Mm-hmm. The second part of this, to me, is. Where do the Browns go? Now, I'm sure they're saying all the things like, the, you know, he's we're going to go with Jacoby Brissett. But 11 games, to think that this guy's going to come in after a, week 12 of the season and then just play at the highest level, I think that's really naive. Like, I think week 13, week 14, he may be able to play. I'm not saying how good he's going to play, but he could play. But to me, I, I think this 11 almost is like, where are you? And it, yeah. say Brissett plays well. You want to pull him? Say they trade for Garoppolo and he plays what? You pulling him? Like, I I think it's actually 11 games really affects Cleveland more than anything because it's too far to say we're going with Brissett, but it's not far enough to trade for Garoppolo, Mm -hmm. I think.
0: Yeah, that's kind of my read on it as well there. It's almost in that kind of weird gray zone. Uh, And just for the technicalities, Watson's suspension will begin at 4 p.m. Eastern on August 30th. He's not eligible to return to the facility until October 10th. Can resume practicing November 14th for some sort of little mini ramp up, and then he's eligible to play December 4th against the Houston Texans. That game being in Houston, that's going to be 700 days. If he plays in that week 13 game, it'll be 700 days since his last regular season game appearance. That to me, it's who knows what you're going to expect there, but I wouldn't expect anything good. Well, I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers is complaining about all
1: his new receivers, right? He doesn't know him. He needs time. He needs all that. We'll cover that later in the pod. And the reality of it is, is it's true. You need time. You need to work on those things. I just don't know how this is all going to play out. And I'm anxious to see where the Browns go in this direction. Because, look, let's face it. Seattle doesn't seem interested in Garoppolo unless they cut him. Mm -hmm. Where else are they going to trade Garoppolo to? Are they sitting around the kitchen table tonight, hoping an injury happens over this weekend, and that's where they're going to get value for Garoppolo? I don't think so. So, I don't know. I think this now, this ruling, where if if John Lynch's phone doesn't ring today or
0: tomorrow, then it ain't going to ring. Yeah. If you were the GM of the Browns, if you were in <laughs> Andrew Berry's shoes, what would you do with this quarterback situation? I would sign Garoppolo
1: I, I, because I I have a sense I know Brissett. I love Brissett. Great kid. Great leader, good person. The problem is when the game is a passing game and the opponent knows you have to throw the ball, that's when Jacoby Brissett becomes hesitant. He doesn't become a starter. Look, he couldn't win the starting job in Indianapolis. He couldn't beat out Tua in Miami. Like, let's not say we're so good. If you got Garoppolo and he comes in and he plays well, you'll get a compensatory pick for him and you can go to Watson next year. But to think Watson is magically going to turn this thing on in week 12, week 13 of the season, I think it's naive to think
0: that. So Watson and his agent uh, said that he is innocent of all this stuff, but then he was asked by reporters why he is apologizing. And the quote that he's told reporters was this. He said, for, I'm apologizing for everybody that was affected by the situation. There were a lot of people that were triggered. Then we hear from owner Jimmy Haslam as well. He spoke with the media and he asked if he would make the Watson deal again. If he knew all of the stuff that came out afterwards and he said absolutely says he believes in second chances this tweet coming from tom Pelissero over at the nfl network quote is he never supposed to play again is he never supposed to be part of society he also mentioned kareem hunt getting a second chance and say that works out well so this is the bed that the Cleveland Browns have made. Um, obviously, the opinions on whichever side, I mean, to me, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. The stuff that he has been uh, accused of and the findings from Sewell Robinson's uh, report, all that stuff that is now based as facts after that report there. To me, it's pretty egregious. But the Browns have decided to saddle up to this guy for $230 million guaranteed. And to me, I think Watson gets off a little light, to be honest. If you're Watson in that camp, I mean, that's the settlement is probably the best way to go, unless they heard that he was gonna get something less.
1: Well, I mean, look, five million to a guy who's got 230 million in the bank, (laughs) isn't really exactly gonna, you know, you're not gonna dent that too much. And, you know, so I think, I I was surprised it was five million. I thought it would be at least 10 million. I thought Mm -hmm. he would pay a heftier fine because let's face it, missing the games is insignificant. His salary is so low. Like, the pocketbook becomes the most effective tool. And I agree. He has to show remorse. I mean, seriously, you don't have this many people saying what they're saying mm-hmm. and think you're innocent. I think he needs to be sincere with it. I think he understands there's a fine line. If he admits his guilt, then is he back in civil court? I understand that. But I think there needs to be some tenderness from Watson about what has caused the damage he's done to his reputation and to, to the team, to the Texans, and to the Browns. I think he's got to work on that. The other thing I think he's got to work on, too, Femi is I think he's got to get back into the community. I mean, he's got to repair his reputation. And words aren't going to repair his reputation. Mm -hmm. Actions will. I think that's most important.
0: Yeah, he's supposed to meet with a behavioral doctor just to kind of evaluate him before he can officially be reinstated so that the league is putting some parameters in place for Deshaun Watson to go and make sure that he's all good to go and ready to be uh, a positive member of society before he steps back on the field. So we'll see what comes of any of that here, but the six remaining games that the Browns potentially could have Deshaun Watson, at quarterback gets week 13 at Houston week 14 at Cincinnati home against the Baltimore Ravens in week 15, then home against the saints week 16. And they close it out with two road games week 17 and 18 at Washington at Pittsburgh. What do you think we see from Watson when he eventually steps on the field here in 2022?
1: Well, I mean, there's two If the Browns are playing well, would you put him in the game? If the Browns are not playing well, then put him in the game. Like, to me, it all depends on where are we, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where's their running game? Who's the health? I, I think you got to see it in practice. I think, to me, to think he's going to practice it Wednesday and Thursday and play in a game, an NFL game on Sunday, I think that's really hard to believe because he hasn't played. He hasn't played in over two years or a year and a half. So, like like Zach Wilson, I don't think Zach Wilson's going to play week one or week two. I think week three, because of it, I would say at least a week after he's back, do we ever see Watson again, depending on the situation.
0: Yeah, and he's going to have a three-week ramp up for practice, but a lot of those practice (laughs) reps are going to be going to whoever QB1 is for the Cleveland Browns. They're not going to say, let's set aside some reps for Deshaun.
1: he's going to get scout team but you can only be you'll be on the field so long Mm -hmm. so it isn't like he's going to get extra reps it's like and the timing's going to be much slower than it comes in the game
0: yeah yeah it's the browns have put themselves in this situation in 2022 watson clearly if anyone offers you that money you're probably going to sign on the dotted line immediately like he did but i don't see this end up being a positive situation here for cleveland but crazier things have happened in the nfl once again we apologize for the podcast being just a tad bit late but of course we get the the news here from Deshaun Watson breaking that's why Michael's got a hat on I got a new haircut all between things that we were doing and taping the pod but we appreciate all of you guys for listening and the rest of the pod will enjoy it talking a little bit of hard knocks with the Detroit Lions over on HBO
1: you know Femi I was raised by a man that was uh, never wanted anybody to call him coach it was Bill he he wanted it to be known as a teacher if you go to Green Bay and you go into the replica office of Vince Lombardi, the plaques on the wall for being teacher of the year. This to me, it's hard for me to watch all this screaming, yelling, rah, rah. Like, I think there's a timetable on that. I think it it you drowned yourself out. I truly believe the best teachers, the best coaches teach through intellect. They don't teach through screaming. They teach through in insightful information. They teach through making the players better with knowledge. I mean, the great Pete Carroll of Princeton just passed away. Guy, rest his soul, 92 years old. We wrote about it for the Daily Coach, his principles of how to teach and what he was able to be successful. To me, that is the essence of what I, I believe a coach is. And so when I'm watching this, yeah, you know, it's exciting and, you know, and Campbell's funny and they play to the cameras. But <laughs> to me, it, this is chess on grass. And it's not the old game in the 50s where it was just brute force. It's it's a strategic game. And I'm not sure that the Lions understand the difference between planning to win and strategizing to win. And when I watch that, that's what I see.
0: I would like to see what their practices look like when the cameras are not around. Now, that's a tricky thing right now since HBO is following every move that they make. Because I'm sure the producers and the editors of the show are are crafting this narrative because like you mentioned, that's probably the most exciting thing for people to want to watch is the emotional side of coaching and trying to get this team that lost 14 games a year ago and make them a competitive team. Uh, I wonder if we're seeing the full picture with this Detroit lions team, or maybe they are just an emotional bunch and will run out of gas by October.
1: You know, I don't think Dan Campbell has false face. Remember that character in Batman where, you know, false face? He had all these different faces. He Mm. could. I don't I think Dan Campbell has one face. I think that's what we're seeing is who he is. And I think even if the cameras – I know they're playing up to them, but I think some of the other coaches are as well. To me, look, I think they've improved their football team. Their offensive line is much better. We talked Mm -hmm. about it when we did the red chips and blue chips, right? You know, the running back, Swift, we're going to talk about him today in a a red chip category. So we know they've got running backs. They've got their better receiver, their quarterback. We know what he is. They do know what he is. And the liabilities are going to show up on defense. But to me, I I, I could see them having a spike – but if I were the president of the Lions, I would I would be wondering if this style is sustainable for three, five, six years. Or do the players drown it out? Do the mm-hmm. players get tired of the messaging? That, that's what I would be concerned. And when I talked about strategy versus planning, when it, there's a huge difference. Anytime you hear a coach say we're planning on winning the game, he doesn't understand the difference. The difference is strategy is is how to prepare the game each week to play, to win. Planning is when we're going on vacation. We're going to go. I'm planning to go to Vegas. You know, I'm planning that. Like that's just an action. Yeah. That's not a. That's not a detailed. That's not a detailed process to go through to win the game. That's what I worry about with the Lions.
0: How many wins this year for Detroit? I could see him
1: winning six. I don't know what they're over-under total. I could see six or six. Look, I think they're going to block people. They're going to run the ball. He did a really good job of taking over as the offense coordinator and kind of put them in. We know golf's limitations. If it's a drop-back pass game, it won't work. I still think they've got a lot of liability on defense. Okuda, you know, yesterday I watched a clip of him, you know, uh, at the Colts practices with the Colts. And, of course, there's a scuffle going on, and he comes flying in you know, to, to hit the guy, you know, he wasn't in the scuffle, but, you know, fake tough guy coming in and trying to hit it, and that escalates the fight. He's not, I mean I don't know how good he's going to be, you know. So, I think their secondary, their speed of the defense is still a liability to me.
0: Over in Green Bay, this is an interesting team because the Packers after trading DeVonte Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders, everyone wants to know how this offense is going to work out. They have the two-time reigning defending MVP in Aaron Rodgers and recently earlier this week, they held a joint practice with the New Orleans Saints and Rodgers wasn't too happy with his young wide receivers. Here's what he had to say when he spoke to the media earlier this week. Unfortunately, some of the same guys. That, that's, you know, repeat mistakes are a problem. So we just got to clean those things up a little bit. The young guys, you know, they got to, especially young receivers, we got to be way more consistent. You know, a lot of drops, a lot of, drops, lot of uh, you know, bad route decisions, run the wrong route. So we got we to gotta get better in that area. But I felt like the line, for the most part, held up pretty good, which was, which was good to see. Michael, is there cause for concern out in Green Bay, or is this just the typical training camp struggles?
1: You know, I've been doing these reels on, on Instagram, kind of a 60-second thing, and I, I kind of try to explain this a little bit. I, I think what fans don't understand is the, the relationship between the receiver and the quarterback. I mean, Cooper Cup gets in there really early to sit down and watch Tate with Matthew Stafford, and they're on the same page all the time. And, you know, if the corner plays me a little bit inside and I'm supposed to break outside, you know, then I, here's what I'm going to do. And there's timing. I don't know if you ever went to a Colt game when Peyton Manning was playing, but if you went to a Colt game when he was playing, you know, three hours before the game, Manning would come out with Marvin Harrison and they would just work on red zone routes. Like these two guys have practiced their whole life together. And they're out there before the game working on red zone routes. That's the kind of element of timing that it takes to get your receivers to understand that percentage of catch. I keep talking about this all the time. That's how the percentage of catch goes up because you're kind of in tune with what he's going to do. You're, you know, you're the point guard and you know where he's going to cut. You're the point guard and you know where he's going to break. So it's hard to duplicate that after four practices after eight practices. And I think what Rogers is saying is look guys, You know, it's one thing to make mistakes. I talked about this today on on the Instagram. You know, practice isn't rehearsal, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Pat Riley had this thing called peripheral opponents. And what he was talking about were people that are always outside that that kind of allow to get in your head and they build the resistance within your own self to fight, to, to then not want to keep challenging. And what I always say is, look, practice isn't rehearsal. So we're going to make mistakes. We just can't make the mistakes every day. And that's what Rogers was saying. Like, we're making the same mistakes over again. Like, we can't be what I call national anthem players. Like, every day you got to play the national anthem because it's a new day. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, shit, I didn't know that. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so he's trying to, and I think what he's doing is trying to get the messaging. I mean, everything Rogers does is calculated. Yeah. I know the media sees him completely different than the way I do, but he's calculating in what he's doing. And he's sending a message to everybody. Like, look, fellas. Here's what we got to do. Of course, everybody wants to take. Well, this is what you. Did. This is what you got because you. Got, no, he's coaching the team. You can see it. He's coaching the team. You know, and he knows LaFleur's not going to be the guy to carry enough clout to really carry it. He does. I think he's coaching the team, and I think ultimately they've got to improve and they've got to show more urgency to improve. You can't make the same mistakes over and over again. You just can't.
0: Rodgers reportedly held a meeting with the receivers after those comments he said to the media. So hopefully they're able to get on the same page for Green Bay's purposes. It's a team that is seen as one of the Super Bowl contenders out of the NFC. Uh, They've been the number one seed the past two years running. Haven't gotten to that Super Bowl uh, since 2010, but we'll see how this unfolds for for Rodgers and his pass catchers post Devontae Adams. I think it's going to be fascinating, at least in the early portion of the season. We might be coming to a conclusion, Michael, in Carolina with this quarterback competition. This report, I'm not sure if you saw it, from Jeff Howe over at The Athletic, saying that Baker Mayfield is expected to be named the Panthers' starting QB for Week 1, per sources. He's been competing with Sam Darnold, but should be declared the starter when the team is ready to make the announcement. Head coach Matt Rule said that they would likely make an announcement after the preseason game against New England Patriots, which is Friday night, so in less than 24 hours. Is this kind of what we all expected was Baker Mayfield once they made that trade was probably going to be the guy and Sam Darnold was likely to be QB, two, or maybe shipped out of town?
1: Well, I don't think he's going to get shipped, but I think he'll be QB, two. But look, I think, you know, here's the reality. I'm not the biggest Baker fan. I think he has limitations in the pocket, but his pro tape is a lot better than Sam Darnold's pro tape and he makes mistakes, but Sam has magnified the mistakes more than anybody, and I think that Mm -hmm. this is about past performance, not about certainly what's happened in camp. I'm sure Sam's getting better. I'm sure Ben McAdoo probably has made him better, but I I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they make that announcement. I don't know what happened at the camp. There's so much fighting going on, I can't really tell how it's going. I I know the Panthers are really good on defense. They're giving them some problems up front to the Patriots, but I, I do think that The tape of Baker is better, pro tape, is better than Sam Darnold's pro tape. And I think that's ultimately going to be the key to the decision here as they go and face the Brownies without Deshaun Watson in the opener.
0: You mentioned the fights at the joint practices, Michael, between the Panthers and the Patriots. And it's not just those two teams, but we've seen it on consecutive days with New England and Carolina. Baker Mayfield, the potential QB1 for the Panthers, had this to say about some of the fisticuffs that's been going on out there in Foxborough.
1: Obviously, we had had a little... uh... Skirmish right before that. Just, I mean, pads pads are popping in these joint practices. It's stuff like that happens. So it's it's all about just focusing on playing in between the whistles. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those. You gotta gotta protect your, your guys, but also at the same time, let's let's be smart. Like this, we're we're all out of here doing our job. Let's not hurt each other. So it's just one of those things we gotta you know try and avoid.
0: You know, the the let's be smart part of this, Michael, yeah. is really what stands out to me because this is yeah. just stupid. We're, yeah. we're trying to accomplish something. And it's the same thing we talked about with Trevor Penning and the saints and him getting thrown out of practice. This is just taking time away from the job at hand, which is trying to get better with these two teams going up against each other.
1: You know, when we, we finally get you through all the seasons of the Sopranos, uh, I think it's season six, Tony's looking for Vito who ran away to New Hampshire because they, he got caught in a, in a, in a men's gay club. Uh, and, you know, and so that he uh, somebody finds his phone on the side of the road because he threw it out. And, you know, Tony calls and a guy answers the phone and and Tony says, oh, you know, you Twitter tough guy, you know, a, a, a telephone tough guy like that, you know, and and mm-hmm. to me, when you have fights in these practices, it's really like th- they're like telephone tough guys. Like th- th- that's not what we're here for. We're here to get better. Like Baker said, we're here to improve our game. We're here to work. We're here to practice against players that know how to practice. That, that's why you do this. That's why two teams come together to practice against one another is because good players know how to practice. Shitty mm-hmm. players can't help themselves. They're on the ground. They fall down and they hurt other players. But when good goes against good, you have the, the chances of injuries go way down because they know how to practice. They know they're not going to cut block. They know they're not going to do. They understand it. And when you have fights, which are just stupid and guys are throwing punches with helmets on like at some point. Like, this is ridiculous. This is two years in a row now. You know, the Panthers went to the Colts. There was a bunch of fights. I mean, the Panthers have a little bit of edge to them. They better take Mm -hmm. that edge into the regular season, and I think they will. I mean, when you break down this team, if Baker's the starter, McCaffrey stays healthy, they've got some pieces. Like I said to you before, I like them on the over.
0: You mentioned that the Panthers have a little bit of an edge to him. Now, the fight spilled into the crowd, which nobody really wants to see. If you're going to fight, keep it to the teams. We don't want spectators getting hurt. That edge to them, it it almost looked a little bit like Baker Mayfield deep down might have liked that they have this edge and that they're willing to fight against the New England Patriots. Uh, Do you think that he was uh, deep down kind of low-key enjoying that he saw his guys uh, battling out there, even though it was outside of the whistle? Well, I mean, Baker's whole life, he's had an edge. I mean, his, you know,
1: walk on at Texas Tech, yeah. have to walk on at Oklahoma. I mean, this is a guy that sees himself as the complete, you know, overachiever. And he's got to carry. If he doesn't have the edge to him, you know, then he's not going to be any good. And so I think that this whole Panther program is about the edge. They've got to prove that they're better than what they were the last two years, which I think they can, but they've got to play smart and, they, and they've got to play within themselves and they've got to stay healthy too. And getting in fights don't really help you.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some running backs that might help you. The blue yeah. chip red chip series continues on the other side, starting with the redship running backs in the NFL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-N-Y or text HOPE-N-Y-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire when 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com/slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, let's continue our series with the blue chip and red chips. Each position, we've been breaking it down all throughout the league, and this week we're going to highlight the running backs. And as we always do, before we start the discussion, we set the criteria. So in your opinion, Michael, what separates a blue and red chip running back from the rest of the ball carriers we see across the league?
1: Well, I think to get paid in the National Football League as a running back, you got to be you can't be a running back. You have to be a weapon. And so let's go back to what we're looking for. Right. So when I first started in the league, you know, it was run block catch. You know, in the West Coast, it might have been run, catch, block. But today's game, today's game is about catch, block, run. Run's the last thing. If you're just a good running back that can't catch the ball or block in pass protection, you got no chance to play in the NFL. You really don't. Unless you're this elite player like Derrick Henry. Unless you're just going to run over people. Because I can promise you this. If you can't protect the quarterbacks, like Saquon Barkley. One of the liabilities with Barkley is he has a hard time in pass protection. So when he's in the game, the defense now can narrow down the offensive game plan, right? That's all defensive coordinators want to do. They want to narrow down what they can. What is the offense going to run based on personnel in the game? And if Barkley's in the game and 11 personnel, okay, I'm not that worried about them really throwing it because if we blitz them and he's got to be in his five-man protection and he's got to block a big guy, we'll run him over. Unless he's improved on that. I haven't seen him yet do that. But before all these injuries, he wasn't very good. So if you can't block, you can't play in passing game. And I want to hear this shit about you're a first down back. There's no such thing as a first down back. Mm -hmm. Like that shit's over with. That's such 19, that's so 2000. There's no such thing as a a first down back. Like first down, we throw the ball in first down more than anybody. Right? You're going to throw the ball. And if you can't catch it when you're in the game and you're in there on first, they're just going to play you differently. So it comes really down to catch, block, run. And so when I try to go through this, the guys that I put in the red chip category to me were weapons. And when I say weapons, they can extend from the formation. They can run routes as a receiver or they can come back in. And I think the red chips can do some of that, too. You know, as we talk about these red chips, like I think Aaron Jones is fabulous. It's one of the biggest. Uh, it, it, it saddens me so much when I see Aaron Jones. I was I was doing pods, I think, at the Ringer, and and after the draft, like I said, my favorite player in the draft was Aaron Jones, the running back from UTEP. Like mm. I, we did this, kid, Femi. This is one of the things that drive you crazy, right? Mm. Belichick and I start uh, after the fifteen draft or something. We started doing conferences like we always would do, and we were. I was in the Southwest Conference. We were doing Texas, and they were playing UTEP. I think it was te- one of those. And this running back at UTEP was like, holy shit. And he outran the whole Texas team. And I'm like, who is this guy? Oh, it's Aaron Jones. He's only a sophomore, right? So you, and once you see that, you put him on the list. Okay, you got to watch this guy. Then he tears his knee out. And then all of a sudden, but you knew he was really good. And then he goes to the combine the next year and he doesn't run as fast. But like every time I watch Aaron Jones play, I'm like, he should have been on the team I was on. Like like mm-hmm. that guy was too good, you know? And Mixon came. We know Mixon's issues off the field. Mike Brown took a chance on him, but Mixon should never be off the field. This whole idea mm-hmm. to put Parine out there is fucking ridiculous. Like it's just stupid. Mixon can catch. He can block. He's a weapon. Like every time you substitute Mixon for somebody else, you've gotten you. You made your team worse. Like let's go back to Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. What he did at Princeton was he wanted to have. All the basketball players, you know, everybody in basketball was trending to this, you know, was trending to having specificity at a position. Power forward does this. Small forward does that. Guard does, you know, point guard, off guard, center. Right. What Petey wanted to do was he wanted to play. Everybody was the same. You said you all had to run. You all had to shoot well. You all had to defend and rebound like everybody was the same player. Right. And so when you get somebody who's all the same players, you don't have to substitute. Yeah. Well, that's what Mixon is. Mixon is so freaking good. Like, why would you take him off the field? Eckler, on the other hand, to me, Eckler, the reason you want to substitute a little bit with him is you don't want to wear his ass out. (laughs) Right? You don't want to wear him out. And I thought (laughs) Yeah, and I thought Javante Williams, to me, he's another guy. Like I know Melvin Gordon just said The other day, they really want to play Williams. Hell yeah, I want to play Williams. I mean, that's a hell of a draft pick in the second round. And then I think Swift from Detroit is really going to be a good player. I really do. I think he's so talented. He's not a nickel player. He's a full-time player.
0: So yeah, let's run down that list. So it's Aaron Jones of the Packers, Joe Mixon of the Bengals, Austin Eckler of the Chargers, Javante Williams of the Broncos, and DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions. Those are the red chip running backs in the league. And you started with your guy Aaron Jones, which interestingly enough – he had more receiving touchdowns last year than rushing touchdowns, which goes in line with what you're saying, that the position now is catch, block, run versus back in the day when it was run, block, catch.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you can't do something in the passing game, and I'm not talking about catch a fucking screen, right? Like like big deal, you catch a screen. I'm talking about running angle routes. I'm talking about running flats, running seams, going outside the X, lining up mm-hmm. outside the X. So when you see the back, when you see the back go outside the formation, and then he comes back in. Basically, what the quarterback's doing is gathering information. Because if he sees the linebacker run out there with them, he thinks it's going to be man. There's a probability. Now, there's some defenses that are smart that kind of try to dis- confuse that, and they brings them back in. And then you've got to be able to run routes where – When you run the route, you're not going to get covered. If you're running an option route, you run H option and you come out of the backfield with a free release and you can go right or left, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a hard route for a guy to cover, a linebacker to cover. And then when you catch it, you can accelerate with it like Jones does. It's a huge weapon. And to me, you know, that's what I'm looking for. That changes the game. That makes the game. Because I don't think people truly understand this, at least from the way I do, is the running back makes the spread. The running back makes the spread, not the receiver. The running back makes the spread. Because you've got to defend him in the box. When we had Charlie Garner in Oakland, that made our offense so much better in 02. That's why Rich Gannon became the MVP. We had we were very average at receiver. Tim Brown was at the later years of his career. Jerry Rice was at the end of his career. And and Jerry Porter was just kind of coming along. But it was Gardner that put the fear in God in you. It's the same thing with Marshall Falk. Mm -hmm. You know, Marshall Falk was the fear of God when they were, when it was the Rams now look, they had Torrey Holt and they had all those great receivers, but you were scared to death of Marshall Falk.
0: Yeah. Marshall Falk or Brian Westbrook out of the backfield when he was with Philadelphia. That's a guy that was so good and kind of before his time with how he was used there by Andy Reid in that offense. I want to ask you though, about the, Two guys here who are younger. Javante Williams, 22 years old. DeAndre Swift is 23. Williams entering his second year in the league. And he had 903 rushing yards last year, four touchdowns, splitting carries with Melvin Gordon. You mentioned it, how Gordon said they want to make him the guy. Can Javante Williams be the guy? Does he have that the body armor to take on a full load as a running back?
1: You know, I saw the—you know, I watched the—it was painful, and I, I apologize to you to say this, but it was painful to watch the Dallas-Denver game, I mean, in the preseason. <laughs> yeah, it but was. I watched it on tape, and, and Denver is going to be the West Coast offense. It, it is going to be true— pure West Coast offense. Nathaniel Hackett, the son of Paul Hackett, who was born into the West Coast offense with Bill Walsh. When I was at San Francisco, we were there together. And so this kid's going to really accelerate in this offense. He could be Roger Craig in the offense. You know, remember when the Niners were going back, it was Roger Craig played fullback originally. Wendell Tyler played halfback. Then they moved Craig to tailback. But when you get a back that can do both, like the, the the fullback position back in the early 80s was still existent. There were still fullbacks. Mm-hmm. But today we just have eight. you know, that, that's a dinosaur. I mean, Dominic's looking for them in his books, right? <laughs> Dominic's skimming through those dinosaur books looking for looking for a fullback, you know? so uh, Show him Moose Johnston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, who is this guy? Peaky, you know, he, he calls me Peaky. Peaky, who is this guy, you know? I mean, oh, he played fullback, Dominic, at one time. You know, we used to have this thing called a fullback, right? But... You know, actually, fullbacks were drafted first picks overall in the draft. Tucker Fredrickson, those guys, you know, it's hilarious when you go back and study these drafts. You know, Wellington Mar had a great quote, and not to make fun of Wellington Mar at all, but he said, we had to take the best fullback in the draft in the first pick. That's wow. the way the game was. That's the way the game was. And so I, I think ultimately, you know, what, what Williams in that Denver offense, I think he's going to really excel. And I think Swift is going to excel, too, because Swift is multidimensional. Swift is one of those Mm -hmm. players that could do everything. He could have played at Princeton. You know, he could could do all the things he needs to do.
0: We were talking about hard knocks earlier on here in this episode, and one of the highlights of hard knocks for me was Deuce Staley talking to DeAndre Swift, saying, hey, you can be the best running back in the league if you want to do. You just got to go out and take it and do it. But then I look at some of his numbers and I say, wow, like, this is a guy who's had trouble staying healthy. And this yeah, dates all that, the way back to Georgia as well. Can he be on the field enough to get up into that blue chip echelon?
1: I, I think he's, that's the problem. And I put him in there and you say, well, where's McCaffrey? Well, McCaffrey's played 10 games in the last two years. Where's Barkley? Barkley, as I talked about, you know, like who am I missing in the running back category that, that should be in here? You know, there's some really good backs that have been hurt, you know, but I, I think that Swift has to prove that, you know, I put Swift in this category because of his talent. Now, if he doesn't stay healthy this year, he won't be a red chip next year. There's no doubt. But he has red chip talent. There is no doubt about that. I mean, you know, like Stevenson from New England. And Belichick's talking about him at really improving in the passing game. If Stevenson improves in the passing game with his skill as a runner, he can be a red chip player, too. Mm-hmm. There's so many good backs. Like, to take one that early. Look, now I didn't put Nigel Harrison here. The guy led the league in receptions and catches in terms of total touches last year behind a shitty line. He could easily be a red chip because, again, he's multidimensional. He could be a weapon as well.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned taking a running back early. That's what I wanted to ask you about, because if you were a GM in today's NFL, would you ever draft a running back in the first round?
1: No. I mean, look, to me, the first round, especially in the top five, 10 picks, you got to pick what you can't buy. You can't buy offensive linemen. You can't buy pass rushers. You can't buy you, you can't buy defensive linemen. So you're going to have to do that. You know, if you can't do that, now, sometimes you get stuck. Look, I mean, Devin White, I mean, look, the Raiders go ahead and pick Cleveland Farrell, the fifth pick in the draft. I mean, that's ridiculous. They should have picked the linebacker. At some point, if you could pick a, a linebacker that you can't formation off the field, then he should be a top 10 pick. But he, you've got to make sure you're right on that. You know, you got to make sure you're right on that. And you got to make sure that if you take a rusher, like we screwed up in Cleveland, Mingo couldn't power. And so because he couldn't power, you know, you end up not having a rusher. To me, those are the things you got to be careful of. And when you make mistakes, you know, you, you've got to understand. People say you can't take a guard in the top 10. Well, if the guy's a legitimate great guard, Cooper mm-hmm. wasn't a great guard. Chance Warmack wasn't a great guard. You can't take those. Yeah. But you certainly can take Quentin Nelson.
0: That's for sure. Yeah. Quentin Nelson has re uh, Revitalize that Colts offense there, allowing them to run the football at a high clip. And to your point, we've seen 13 running backs drafted in the first round since 2012, uh, and none this past year in 2022, after seeing two go in 2021 with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. So it's an interesting position that it's the value of it clearly is not as valuable as some other positions across the league. And we see that in the production. I mean, Michael, this past year, seven running backs with a thousand yards plus last season. 10 years ago, that number was 16. 20 years ago, the yeah. number was 17. So we're seeing the splitting of the carries now becoming more in vogue versus giving it to the bell cow running back of, all right, Emmett Smith, here goes 350 to 400 carries and go do what you do.
1: You know, uh, yeah. I mean, like Tony Pollard, I almost put him on this list. I, I mean, I could have easily put Tony Pollard instead of Swift. I think Tony Pollard's great. If When I was watching, writing my book, when I was watching Gail Sayers, and then I watched Tony Pollard. I don't know how the hell it happened in the same day, but they <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to people say you're crazy. No, they run the same way. Gale Sayers was more of a slasher than he was Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. He had such ability to get on an edge and go, you know, and that's what Pollard does. Now they're going to use Pollard a little bit in the slot. I think Pollard's t- Gibson at, at, at Washington. I mean, he could be on this, whether he could be a full-time runner, but again, you see the trend here. These guys are receivers that have become runners. That's what we're looking for. I think that's where, look at this list, Fem. None of these guys were picked in the first round. Mm -hmm. Nixon had character issues off the field. Eckler's a free agent. Williams is a two. Jones is a five. Swift is a two.
0: Yeah, and and that's a theme that's going to carry over to our blue chips list, which we're going to get to here shortly after the break. All right, Michael, now it's time to get to the blue chips. But before we get to this list, I wanted to ask you a question about the transition from college to pro at this position. Would you say that of all the positions in football, that this is the quickest learning curve going from the college game to the NFL game?
1: No, I don't think it is because the college game, the protections are fairly simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's either full slide, the, you know, it's this protection. The, the, the protection game is so limited in college. Right. And when you get into the pros, it becomes a whole different element in terms of the protections, in terms of who you got to block, how you're going to run it, the checks, the adjustments at the line. Who's the will? Who's the mic? You know, when Brady's pointing out the mic's mic, who's got the mic, who has them, all that, it, it becomes a little bit difficult. Who's reading off of a side? You know, if the if the star comes, I've got him. If he doesn't, I go that way. So, I think it's an adjustment. I think the, the if you're smart, the players can learn it. But one of the one of the elements that that kind of curtails a young running back from playing is the fact he doesn't know the protections, you know. And so I think that's really the hardest part. Those protections, to me, especially if you're not trained in it, that's why the Senior Bowl is so important because you're trying to get trained. Now they don't blitz in the Senior Bowl, but you're trying to find out about you know can this guy figure out the protection scheme?
0: Yeah, that was one of the reasons why the Dallas Cowboys drafted Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Number four
1: overall. uh, To me, Elliot's a guy that should be on the list. He's so talented, Mm -hmm. but he hasn't played that way in the last couple of years. And he's not a weapon. He's now just a runner. You know, everybody knows he's going to run the ball between tackles. You know, and he doesn't move the pile with the same juice, you know, and so I love Zeke. I really do. I love Zeke. I would have paid Zeke. I'd have been the first in line to pay Zeke, but I would have been down. I would have been like, look, we're going to make this guy a weapon like he's going to go out there and run some slants. He's going to run seams. He's going to be the Aaron Jones if we pay him. Mm-hmm. If we don't if we pay him this much money and we don't get 70 catches and average 10 yards a catch, we're wasting our money. That That's the key. That's the mm-hmm. key. You know, when Gurley was humming and with the Rams, he averaged 10 yards a catch. That's what you want. I mean, Camaro, who's on our list here, he averaged 9-6. This is what we want. We want to make plays in the passing game. Because remember, Femi, when we're running the ball, we're going to kick field goals. When we're throwing the ball, we're going to score touchdowns.
0: I think that's a really good way to put that. Um, I'm going to make a prediction. I think Zeke Elliott... This time next year when we do this episode, we'll be on your red chips list. I don't think we've seen the last of Zeke Elliott. Last year, he was dealing with the PCL injury after week four. Um, He looked a little more spry early on in the season Uh, because he was in better shape, but I think we'll see Zeke Elliott get back to some of the form. Not quite 2016, his rookie year, when he was arguably the best running back in the league, but I think he'll get back into this red chips category. That's my prediction for this upcoming season, but let's get to your blue chips list here, Michael, and to start it off, we have King Henry. Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans is a blue chip entering his age 28 season, seventh year in the league. Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints, Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts, Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns, and Dalvin Cook. Of the Minnesota Vikings and I want to start with Jonathan Taylor because a lot of people will say he's the best running back in football is he RB1 in your opinion across the league
1: well I mean he's so talented and and you know think about this could you imagine if the Chiefs would have picked Taylor oh my gosh insta- instead of Hilaire <laughs> it wouldn't be fair I mean <laughs> I mean uh, Taylor got Taylor got a bum rap right Taylor's playing in that Wisconsin offense and mm-hmm. people just thought he was a runner like this guy's multi-dimensional You know, and credit Chris Ballard, Ed Dodds, the guys in Indianapolis, did a great job getting him. You know, he breaks tackles. He moves the pile. He's really talented. Look at this list again, Femi. Derrick Henry. To me, Derrick Henry is a lesson because I was not a Henry guy when he was at Alabama. Mm -hmm. I thought Henry was a point of entry back. And what do I mean by that? So certain runners have to be fed into the hole cleanly. So what that means is you can't have anybody kind of get in front of them where they have to elude left or right to avoid the first blocker. You've got to feed them into the hole, whether it's with a fullback or just a clean entrance. So we call, I call them point-of-entry backs. I thought he was a point-of-entry back because I thought if anybody got in his way and he had to redirect immediately, it, the play was over. Mm-hmm. And he proved me way wrong. And credit John Robinson for making the pick in the third round because I didn't see it. I didn't see him having enough speed to get to the edge on the outside zone either. But he's so big, he's so powerful, and he can do some things in the passing game that, you know, when he's in the game, he opens up their play-action pass game because everybody's got to play for the run when he's back there, right? And he can block. He's a big man can block. So, you know, I I, I think to me he sets their – if they don't have him, it's hard for them to get going offensively. It really is. But, you know, Taylor, I think, who's the best of that list? That's a hard thing to predict. Taylor's so good, yeah. you know that. Especially that they're going to use. I think. I think with Matt Ryan this year, I think they'll even use him more in the passing game. Kamara to me is, I mean, he's special in his pass catching ability. He's got such bursts of acceleration out of his cuts when he runs routes. He's hard to tackle. He can protect. He's in the perfect offense. He catches screens. He runs seams. Nick Chubb's another guy. I mean, you know, the Patriots picked Sonny Michelle over Nick Chubb because everybody's worried about Nick Chubb's knee coming out. Everybody was worried mm-hmm. about Nick Chubb's knee coming out, and I can remember my son Matthew was playing at Louisville. Uh, he was coaching at Louisville, and they were playing in the Belk Bowl in Carolina, and they were playing Georgia. Louisville was playing Georgia. Lamar was on the team, and this Chubb guy was like, "Holy shit!" Like when you see a back early in his career, like like the Robinson kid at Texas, like just write it down. Like like I don't know what happens to these guys; they get lost. But Chubb was like, "Holy shit! That's the best player I've seen." He's incredible. I mean, guy averages almost five yards a run, can outrun the outside zone, can take it to the house. You know, I think they could utilize him more in the passing game as
0: well. Yeah, Chubb is awesome. And one thing that you've talked about throughout this blue chip red chip series is balance. Chubb has some of the best contact balance I think I've ever seen from a running back. If you hit that guy, he's still going on his path and it takes so much just to get him on the ground.
1: I think we just don't understand balance. You know, I think, you know, the, when, when you, I spend so much time talking to basketball coaches and, you know, I can remember Tom Cream one time telling me about Dirk Nowitzki practicing shooting off of one foot mm-hmm. and, and how that really has balanced to shoot. The Europeans were really spending a lot of time on shooting off of one foot, that balance. We don't evaluate the balance enough. We don't evaluate it enough in terms of it's such a critical component. We know it's critical to run backs, but we know, but it's also critical to defensive backs, you know, to be in balance, to be able to jump off of one foot. You know, I learned that with Barkley. I mean, a guy leads the league in rebound at six, four and a half, but he could jump off of one foot. That's a hard thing to do. It's really hard to do it. And I think that that ultimately is, uh, is the key.
0: Nick Chubb has had 1,000 rushing yards in each of the last three seasons. So has Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Um, Unfortunately for Cook, he's never played in every game in a season, but when he's on the field, he's as good as it gets here. And I think he could be in for a big year with Kevin O'Connell now at head coach.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Florida. So again, I'm going back because I love when my son was at Louisville. Petrino was the coach. They had Lamar. I mean, they're playing Florida State in Louisville. The place is crazy. I mean, it's insane. And and Louisville's got a good team. Petrino had a good program going Mm -hmm. and and they had Florida State beat until Cook came on the field. And once Cook came on the field, the game was over. Like he (laughs) ran the clock out. It was over. Like you just like, holy shit, who is this guy? You know? And so but he's a weapon, too. Like, he's a weapon, you know, and I think with Madison behind him, they can keep him healthy. Like, I think you got to substitute these guys. Again, I'm going to keep saying this. Forget about playing 17 games. If I were a head coach in the league and I had a guy like Cook and I knew Cook played 800 plays and that's his really limit or 900 plays, then I'm going to play him 900 plays. I don't give a shit how many games we have right 900 is limit so does that mean he plays 12 gate 12 plays does he play 15 a game i don't know but i don't want to go over 900 cuz i'm going to risk the injury i don't care about games i care about how many plays and i think that's how you have to break it down
0: no i think that's smart and helping these guys have long careers because these running backs, as we know, this is a position that is very violent and these guys don't typically last very long. So it's impressive to see someone like Derrick Henry on this list who's entering year seven, but Henry only played in eight games last year after suffering the foot injury against the Indianapolis Colts. Do you think that we've seen the best of Derrick Henry uh, so far, or can he even get to another level here in 2022?
1: I mean, the amount of load management he's had. He's had over like 400 carries, 300 carries. It's, it's like he d- doesn't even bother him. You know, I can, after he had that great year two years ago, I was predicting his downfall because the history says no back can duplicate that again. I think it, of the 29 backs, I went back and studied it. it. After the 29 backs that have had that many carries, only two of them produced another good season. But he's, I, I, he must have some something in his body that just it does it. I, would, I don't hold it against him. I think he'll come back and play really well again. I think he's amazing. So, you know, the other thing about this list too, again, no first-rounders on this list, right? Yep.
0: (laughs) No (laughs) first-rounders.
1: And so it's just remarkable. It really is. It's just like it's a position that if you understand your offense and you can scout inside out, you can find players that can fit the roles you need them to fit.
0: Do you think overall the league is getting smarter about how they – allocate the resources towards this position? Because we saw no first-rounders go at this year's past draft in the spring. Is this something that we're going to see more going forward where maybe the best running backs go in the top of the second round? Yeah,
1: I, unless he's a complete weapon, unless he changes the game, unless he can do other things. But the problem is that second contract. Are yeah. you going to give him a second contract? See, you talk about Cook. The reason you got you got to make sure once you've invested in Cook, once you invested in Zeke, Like, this can't be just a personnel guy or the cap guy makes a decision. Hey, you know, the coach, oh, yeah, I don't want to lose him. Well, okay, if we make this investment in the cap, then what is the role that we're going to use this player moving forward? Is he going to play 900 plays? Like, what are we going to get out of this? How is this going to work? Because if we're going to invest all these dollars in him, the chances of him fulfilling the second contract are not great. It's risk reward here. How do we handle that? And I think that's the mm-hmm. question you got to ask yourself. Yeah, you don't want to lose a great player. I don't want to lose Cook, but I also don't want to spend all this money and not get, the, not get the full benefit out of them. So there's got to be a strategic plan. This is one of the things that bothers me about the, the, the lack of synergy between coaches and personnel guys is the, how are we going to develop the team around what we have? And how are we going to develop the players so that we can fulfill the contract? And unless you have somebody really organizing that, like in New England, the way he kind of does it, it's hard.
0: It's why continuity matters from, from the top down. It's why continuity matters. Everybody working on the same page. Nobody looking over anybody's shoulders there by getting fired at the end of the season. Just to recap the blue chips, Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans, Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints, Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts, Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns, and Dalvin Cook of the minnesota vikings all right let's take one more final break we'll get some other news and notes from around the league all right michael before we wrap things up let's get to some news and notes from around the league and yesterday wednesday morning we saw los angeles chargers all pro safety derwin james a blue chipper on our list of blue-chip safeties, signed a four-year, $76.4 million extension with the Chargers. The Holden is over, Michael. After missing 15 training camp practices, James Inks, the big deal, now the highest-paid safety in NFL history.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick kind of set this market. Uh, uh, look, the guy's a good player. Look, uh, this Charger team has good players on all levels now. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, there's no excuses for them to be as bad as they were. 32nd in the league on third down defense last year. I mean, James played last year, and they were bad on defense. Bosa played last year, and they were bad on defense. They get J.C. Jackson. They sign him. I mean, they put some money into this team. There's no excuse now for this Charger team to not to just be middling around and doing some of the things to do. I think the pressure's on Staley. I really do. I think he's going to have mm-hmm. to, you know, he's got a really good offense. You know, they put money in the offensive line. You know, they've got, they pay two receivers, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Most teams don't pay two receivers like that. So, look, they're doing everything they can do while Herbert's a cheap under contract because in another year, Herbert's going to get huge money. Herbert will be the highest paid quarterback eventually because he's going to exceed everybody. So, I think they're smart to do it now. And I'm sure they were really smart on how they structured this contract, knowing that Herbert's deal is going to kick in in X year. And so, that'll be a cheaper deal, kind of a little bit like, what we see with some like Kyler Murray's money really doesn't kick in in terms of his cap charge Mm -hmm. until three years from now. Right. So, so they've got a five year window with James's contract and some of these other guys to kind of keep their cap in order.
0: We talked about it a little bit when we did the safeties episode of the blue chip, red chip series, these, these, Safeties are now starting to get paid top dollar where there's four or five years ago. They were probably getting nine, 10 million a year. Now we're sitting here. These guys are getting upwards of north of 15 million dollars per year. Do you see this becoming a, a more of a trend in the league where safeties are now becoming or seen more valuable on that back end of the defense? I think if they can
1: cover Femi, you know, and I'm not sure James is a great cover guy. Like if James is going out there to cover Darren Waller, who's winning that one-on-one matchup, that's the Waller. interesting one. I'll take Waller too. Yeah. To me, that, that's where I have a problem, but they cover space. They cover, it's like having a great center fielder in baseball. They have great ability to cover the gaps. I mean, we drafted our turn of the second pick overall in the draft. And, you know, that was when I it was 91 and, you know, drafting a safety, I wasn't the sure that, but he was such a, a, a able to cover up when, well, we were good in Cleveland in 4 when we only gave up 204 points, and, and the longest run against us was 21 yards. I mean, that's where you see it. Like, can they tackle really well? No big plays. And that really resonates, and that's worth paying for.
0: What do you think this means for Jesse Bates come March? Not Nothing. Mike Brown's not going to flinch. I mean, Mike Brown's
1: not going <laughs> to flinch. I mean, Jesse, it, probably if you called Mike Brown on the phone right now, he would say, Jesse who? Like Mike Brown's moving on. Like, I don't know what Jesse Bates is doing. Like, don't fight Mike Brown. Like, like I would tell coaches all the time. Right. Like when we would go out to practice, like and Al Davis would be up in the morning at 830 at Napa Valley and he would be standing in the middle of the field. Right. And we had two fields and you'd come on the practice field and he'd be standing out there. And some of these stupid coaches would walk up to him and say, how are you doing, Mr. Davis? And of course, they get their heads ripped off. I'm like, would you ever go fucking pet a tiger? Like, seriously, if that was a tiger in the middle of the field, would you go pet him? Of course you wouldn't pet him, right? You'd fucking run the other way. Well, Of course, no. Like, Mike Brown's a tiger. Don't go pet him. Like, you're not not beating Mike Brown. You're not beating Mike Brown. Jesse Bates, his agent, ain't going to beat Mike Brown in this negotiation. You're going to show up. You know, if you don't want your franchise money, then Mike Brown's happy. He's saving money. Mike Brown's saving money. Every check you miss, Mike Brown's sitting there saying, "Okay, that's good. Bottom line. Yeah. Like Mike Brown, Mike Brown doesn't think that his franchise is determined by Jesse Bates. It's one of the most ridiculous holdouts of all time. Like they didn't win because of Jesse Bates. They won because of <laughs> McPherson's 14 field goals. And they were very fortunate. Let's put that in perspective. Joe Burrow was fine. I mean, they couldn't protect, but come on, Mike Brown's loving this.
0: It's funny because Jesse Bates has been holding out of training camp and he's not getting fined because he has not signed the franchise tender. But he did attend the preseason game. I don't know. Did you see this on social media? No. He was sitting no. up in a suite, Michael. <laughs> he, was, he was taking in the game just like a
1: fan. But uh, you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember the TV show MASH?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you remember the show TV show MASH? Well, the first two seasons, McLean Stevenson, you know, he played Colonel Blake. And he was, everybody loved Colonel Blake. Who couldn't love Colonel Blake, right? He was bumbling, stumbling, you know, had a heart of gold, really wasn't a leader, you know, but everybody loved him. And so McLean Stevenson, the actor, was like, I want more money. You know, after two years, I've made this show really popular. And they're like, oh, you know, here's, a, here's what we're going to offer you. And he's like, "Bullshit! I'm not taking that." So he goes and does. He goes naturally to ABC, and ABC spends spends a boatload of money on him, and they give him a new a sitcom. That sitcom lasted like twelve shows, and he has one of the greatest lines of all time. He said, "What I didn't realize was that America loved Henry Blake. They didn't love McLean Stevenson. Like Mm -hmm. the Bengals love people. Love the Bengals. It ain't Jesse Bates. Like, and and if you don't get that straight as a player, as management, as anybody, you're going to keep screwing up." Like it's going on and on forever.
0: Yeah, no, we'll see if he shows up. I'm sure he will by the time we get to the regular season. But right now it's just a training camp storyline with Jesse Bates holding out the last of these holdouts here uh, of the guys who have yet to sign their franchise tags. Tonight, Michael, we get Thursday night football. The Chicago Bears taking on the Seattle Seahawks up in my former neck of the woods, the Pacific Northwest. Geno Smith will be starting at quarterback for Seattle, but that's not what the plan was initially earlier this week. Drew Locke was named the starter for this game because they wanted to see him work with the ones, but unfortunately, two hours later, it was reported that Drew Locke tested positive for COVID-19. So has he now opened the door for Geno Smith to be QB1 in week one?
1: I don't see how he's not QB1. I mean, like, look, uh, I, the, the third preseason game, I don't think anybody's playing anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, how are you going to judge that? Plus, you've missed practice. Like, Geno started last year. Like, I think it's got to be Geno's job. I mean, this just, to me, made it easier for Geno to become the starter. He started for him last year. They know what they're going to get. Now, does that mean that I, that Locke can't become the starter in week two or week three? Probably. It could happen. But to me, it's like Zach Wilson. Like, I think Joe Flacco is going to start the first three games of the year. I don't think Zach Wilson's coming back at least for two games, right? We all know Flacco's going to start the opener, right? But we also, Mm -hmm. I think he'll start the second game. I think it's the same thing here. Locke missing this time, plus how bad did he have COVID? You know, is it bad? You know, because you feel tired after, even after you come back from COVID. Again, you're just not automatically great. So I think this is Geno Smith's job.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, and I have some boots in the ground down in Seattle And I sent a message to them asking, hey, what's going on with this quarterback thing? Is this pretty much Geno Smith's job now that Locke can't play in this week two preseason game? And the response that I got back was, Geno Smith stinks, but he's going to be the QB1. (laughs) That's right. And
1: that that text didn't come from me, but I could have easily written that Michael. I could have easily written that text.
0: Yes, I think we all could have uh, based on what we've seen in the past. So this Seattle Seahawks quarterback situation, we'll see what happens. I also asked the person if Jimmy G was a potential uh, possibility there for the Seahawks. And they said that maybe if he gets cut, um, but I don't see them giving up resources for Jimmy G. So we'll see how that one unfolds when we get to Labor Day weekend. Uh, with Jimmy G's situation in San Francisco. Uh, But, Michael, let's enjoy this preseason weekend, man. We get week two. We're going to get some more starters out there on the field. It'll feel a lot more like the football that we're going to see upcoming this September. Uh, That does it for this week's edition of the GM Shuffle. We'll be doing the Special Teams Blue Chip Series next Thursday. Michael, you'll be out here in Las Vegas early next week. Can't wait for that.
1: I'm going to be there early, but then I'll be back in the office next week. So we'll be there. So appreciate you, Femi.
0: Thank you. Yes, appreciate you. As always, appreciate our producer, Stephen Bond, with us as well on the ones and twos. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you, all of you listeners and viewers. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll talk to you guys next week.